Welcome. I am Sri Vatsin and I head the Center for Research on Architecture and Urbanism in CLDF SEPT University. For more than two decades, I have been working on Chennai's urban history and city development. In this podcast, using Chennai's planning history, I explain how in post-independent India, master plans became the single most important measure, tool and the end of planning a city. I also discuss how the idea of a big plan superseded all other ways of developing the city. Despite its repeated failure, master plans remain entrenched in planning practice and establishment. Is it time to rethink it and find alternatives? I engage with with these questions first by narrating the various plans drawn for Chennai, briefly outlining their ideas and pointing out to what worked and what didn't. Using this as the context in the second part, I analyze and ask why the master plan approach did not deliver and what the answers to these questions behold for the future. Let me start with an incident dating to 1936. B.R. Kagel, the town planning expert on the Bore Committee, did not have many pleasant things to say about Chennai or Madras as it was then known. Government of India had constituted the Bore Committee to survey the health conditions and recommend the future course. Though Chennai was among the first cities in the country to adopt the Town Planning Act in 1920 and set up a separate directorate for town planning, Kagel was not impressed. This is intriguing since Chennai undertook many town planning schemes and urban design projects. The answer to this puzzle indicated things to come and befall not only on Chennai but also many other cities in India. Kagel did not acknowledge many town planning schemes and urban design projects such as People's Park, Beach Promenade, the 1923 neighborhood scheme in Mambalam and many more. He was disappointed with Chennai because the city never had a comprehensive plan. He pointed out that though the Town Planning Act made it mandatory for cities to submit a general town planning scheme by 1934, nothing much happened till 1944. Cities needed to have a master plan. And without it, other initiatives never mattered. Make big plans was the point. This notion started to take its roots by 1940s. And by 1960, master plans became the most important evidence in the end of planning. They were perceived to express expertise and intelligence and encapsulate the big idea. At one level, the state saw master plan as the expert's rope that tethered a footloose city to a vision. And at another, it was taken to be a compulsory roadmap needed for city's good future. How did Chennai respond to this dominant view? I take the year 1960 as the starting point. This date may have helped me round off the assessment period to an attractive number, that's 60 years. But that's just a coincidence. The story begins in 1960 because the first overall plan was prepared at the time. The Chennai Corporation prepared the first comprehensive town planning scheme in 1957 and named it General Town Planning Scheme. 
Still, the plan was turned down by the Directorate of Town Planning since it wanted more detailed and extensive studies to back the project. After two years, the corporation submitted the revised draft and the city newspapers prominently published it in 1960. There were many ideas in it, including containing the city population by building satellite towns around. Despite the enthusiasm and support, the draft scheme did not proceed to become the first statutory plan for Chennai. Developments in Delhi held them back. In 1960, the newly formed town planning organization with the help of Fort Foundation experts prepared a new master plan for Delhi. The Delhi plan emphasized large-scale land acquisition at one go. Its approach and the methods it displayed and the expertise it was able to draw cast an intense spell over Chennai and other cities. Prime Minister Nehru himself suggested that the Delhi Town Planning Organization must offer advice to all states and regional organizations must be set up in each state to draw the master plans. Chennai had to follow Delhi. The third fire plan around this time encouraged states to take up master planning. It sanctioned an amount of about rupees 120 lakhs and urged the states to prepare plans for urban development. Taking cues from Delhi in 1962, the Chennai government invited three American experts from Yale University to prepare a suitable modern plan. Available details indicate that the visiting planners were not keen to give any blueprint. They wanted to offer suggestions on which the plan could be drawn up. The American experts report recommended that the Postgraduate Institute of Town Planning Education be set up and the institute take up master planning exercise. However, these ideas didn't find favor with the government. Probably it was expecting a grand plan and never got it. The government then restarted the master plan project. After three years, the Madras Interim Plan was put together. The planners found the objectives of Delhi plan good enough to be applied to Chennai. Unlike in Delhi, it included a more substantial area around the Chennai city for planning purpose. About 1,186 square kilometer of area, which contained a population of 2.2 million, was delineated as the Madras metropolitan area. Remarkably, this delineation identified 45 years ago remained unchanged until recently. The interim plan also aimed to contain the city population by creating urban centers in the peripheries. It was meant to develop mass transportation systems, construct about 3 lakh dwelling units, and identify as many as 37 slums for clearance. However, the plan couldn't move forward. The government changed and the plan was put on hold. This must be a familiar story with many cities. Congress party, which was in power in the state since its independence, lost the elections in 1967. DMK, a dominant regional party, came to power and formed the new government. The DMK considered Chennai as one of its electoral bastions and promised a well-developed and a slum-free city. However, it did not take up the interim plan but rather put it down. 
DMK found the plan inadequate without a long-term pers- long perspective and financial planning. This assessment was only partly accurate. The reasons had to do more with politics and the policy shift to seek World Bank assistance. The DMK government produced a new plan in 1971 titled Madras Metropolitan Plan. This one carried forward many of the ideas of the previous plan. More importantly, it fixed the city's settlement pattern for good. Chennai had acquired an open palm pattern over two centuries and this was mostly through contingencies. But the 1971 plan decided that it was the inherent character of the city and even compared it with the famous finger plan of Copenhagen. Finally, the planners decided to develop each one of the fingers of the open palm as a growth corridor. This spatial imagination persists, and the city has grown linearly, stretching as far as 40 kilometers. Chennai has now become a city of corridors. It was at this time, in 1974, the Madras Metropolitan Planning and Development Authority, MMDA then, CMDA now, an umbrella organization to function as a principal planning and coordinating body was set up. CMDA reworked the Metropolitan Plan and presented it as the first master plan for Chennai in 1975. The government approved it and the city finally got its first master plan in December 1976. The plan also saw increasing involvement of the World Bank in Chennai. As history would have it, after almost 50 years, the bank is currently back in Chennai working on the third master plan. The World Bank's involvement in Indian planning is a story in itself, and it needs to be told separately. For now, I would just limit by saying that World Bank's impact on urban planning of Chennai was critical. It promoted a project-based approach. This led to the creation of many standalone projects and competing authorities which pulled the city in different directions. The CMDA since then could never build the bridge between plans and projects. In 1980, an opportunity presented itself to correct course but was lost. Through a British aid program, Chennai Commission Alan Turner and Associates a town planning firm based in the UK to prepare a structure plan. In 1980, the team published the plan. The consultants made it clear that proposed structure plan was not a master plan, but a framework for growth which offered strategies and directions for resource allocation. In the consultants' view, Chennai's master plan failed to recognize that the growth trends don't respond to intervention and attempts to curtail the city was doomed to fail. The consultants want the government to rethink the master plan approach and shift to an action plan. They recommended a trend policy which accepted the pattern of growth but wanted to direct the city to peripheries by connecting the inner nodes of development. Had CMD only accepted these ideas, the city would have radically changed. But that didn't happen. The city planner's obsession with the master plan continued. However, CMDA took to other suggestion of the Alan Turner's report about developing control rules in a big way and turned them into de facto planning tool. 
It took the city 43 years to produce the second master plan. Not that it didn't want to do it earlier, but its attempts were derailed because CMDA took public consultation for granted and goofed it up. CMDA put up the draft second master plan for discussion in July 1995. It thought it could easily override public consultation as it had done in the past. Much to CMDA's discomfort, many civic groups organized public meetings, mobilized opinions, and the newspaper carried more about the plan. The city plans were in English and the Tamil version was not available. And this was a major impediment in seeking public opinion. The civic action group raised this issue and complained about the high cost one had to pay to buy the plan, the plan documents to consult. It eventually approached the court and obtained an interim injunction. After five years of protracted legal battle in 2000, the High Court dismissed CAG's petition. The High Court held that it was not possible I quote, to consult each one regarding the finalization of the master plan for Chennai, end quote. The court agreed with the CMDA that the preparation of the special plan was within the competence of the authority and said that the relief sought for supply of the second master plan for nominal cost or provision of the same in Tamil couldn't be granted. Though CAG and other groups that aligned with it lost the legal battle, for the first time, civil resistance to planning bulldozer was put up. The city has not seen such a mobilization since then. After this, in 2001, the government decided to rework the second master plan. Seven years later, in 2008, the second master plan, which is currently operational, was notified. Between 1975 and 2008, the city and its ground conditions had changed. However, the plan did not quite adapt to it. Let me pause here to provide an overview of what the plans attempted and what they eventually achieved. In this story, we would not only find the limitations of master plans, but also the lack of institutional agility and imagination in dealing with cities that are dynamic, open-ended, and full of surprises. All plans drawn for Chennai have always begun by admitting that the previous plans have fallen short. Plan begetting more plans is neither ironical nor intriguing. The plan is part of state speaking. It announces the presence of the state and governance in action. Failed plans are as useful as successful ones as they allow for bigger plans and further the presence of the state. The question is how well to use the plans. The second point is that all the master plans are premised on a Malthusian nightmare they construct. More population is bound to come into the city and that would spell trouble. More mouths to feed more houses to build, and more infrastructure to provide. None of the plans embraced urbanization as a positive force. The 1967 Chennai plan was alarmed by the fact that the population would increase by 8 lakhs in 30 years to touch 
2.5 million by 1991. In the 1971 and 1974 plans expressed similar fears when it predicted that the city population would reach 4.3 million in 1991. To the current 2006 master plan, the projected 5.9 million in 2026 means yet another crisis. No matter what the plans try to do, the city continued to grow, expand in size, and increase in population. The containment policy never worked. Economy and urbanization are entwined. State and market pushed the economic growth of the city. Jobs increased, social infrastructure grew, private transport multiplied. These forces countervailed restrictive devices such as green belt, ring roads, and land use regulations imposed by the master plan. And the city grew beyond the limits the plans drew. The fallouts of this were many. First, the city grew without complying with the land use plan. There were a large number of land use changes, most of which were unauthorized. Growth and use were determined by the road network and improved accessibility facilitated by public transport. Consequently, development occurred in areas that were not necessarily determined as growth areas. Large real estate projects came about in places based on land price and job opportunities created by industrial growth. Planning a city through land use allocation did not work. Areas predicted as growth zones either did not develop or if they did, they did so after a considerable time lag. The second fallout is that since the plans focused on servicing the core and left the periphery out, and that were at the mercy of ill-equipped local bodies, Chennai's outward expansion relied on the main road corridors, particularly the three corridors starting from south to west. The city grew linearly and sustainably, and it stretched as far as about 40 kilometers. This has left the wedges between the corridors sparsely developed for lack of road network and local schemes. The city now appears like a poorly cooked pizza, overburned crust and a soggy inside. Because of this, not only the peripheries suffered from poor services as we begin to witness, the arterial lines often chops up. The plants are so fixated on the finger plan, despite the city being dynamic, it never attempted any other alternative ways of organizing the city. This has led to the loss of environmental assets, leading to disastrous outcomes such as the urban floods in 2015. The Controller and Auditors General's report on the flood management and response in Chennai and its suburban areas, published in 2017, concluded that, I quote, the laxities in urban planning and ineffective enforcement of statutes and master plans, unquote, were the principal reasons for flooding. The report pointed out that the two Chennai master plans together projected that the built area would increase by 330.58 square kilometer between 1976 and 2026. 
However, on the ground, the actual increase between 1979 and 2016 was 450.26 square kilometers. This excess building activity was a result of not only the proliferation of illegal layouts, but also land conversions deviating from plants. Many water bodies, low-lying areas were built up, and lack of proper road network to conduct surface runoff led to severe flooding. The third point is that the master plans, irrespective of the population they projected, be it 1 million or 6 million, identified similar problems to address. Almost all the plans thus far listed same issues, unplanned and undirected growth, deterioration of the inner city, a proliferation of slums, traffic blocks created in the wake of automobile growth, and pressure on urban services. The differences between the plans were only in terms of strategic projects they were identified. For example, in 1971 plan, the ring road and ring rail were the key projects. So was creating urban nodes in the periphery. In the 1975 plan, it was about shifting the wholesale markets and building new towns such as Maramalai Nagar and Manali. The 2008 plan incorporated projects that were initiated before it came into existence such as Metro Rail. There were also a host of projects that were conceptualized outside the plans. Developing a new Chennai in the southwest part of CMEA, creation of administrative city outside, area development projects such as Tinaga are but a few examples. Not all these projects were implemented efficiently and at times, they were even given up as quickly as they started. Newtons proposed in the earlier plans took decades to complete. The fragments finished at few takers. There were no supporting and concurrent investment in the regions around the newly developed areas to create jobs. Another example is the Amartya's project commenced three decades ago. It still remains incomplete. The city never tied its investment plan or figured out ways to implement its proposals. As a result, it could never take advantage of the strategic and cumulative impacts the projects would have delivered. Failure of master plans is also evident in the areas of housing and transport integration. To begin with, most of the plans have no precise and reliable assessment of housing demand and supply and shortage. Data related to city-level income and saving levels are rarely analyzed. As a result, the plan does not clearly define what the threshold of affordable housing in Chennai is. In its absence, fixing the housing targets by plans appear arbitrary. The plans increasingly adopt measures to nudge markets to do the job, including housing regulations, FSI-based incentives, to enhance the supply of affordable housing are but a few examples. Though in principle they appear as potential ideas, in the absence of specific measures to verify the outcomes, the efficacy of these incentives remain doubtful. Recent studies also confirm that such measures have not delivered. To add to the woes, the plans have given up on increasing supply of serviced land 
through laying a grid of roads and other infrastructure. Not all is well with the transport sector either. Chennai has a road network of 2,780 km, which primarily comes from its first-order roads. While there is an inadequate supply of the second and third-order roads, particularly in the peripheries which are witnessing faster growth. Though this problem was identified many years ago, and studies recommended that the road network with a grid of 2 km by 2 km be developed, not much has happened. Since Chennai has stopped taking up town planning schemes, it has not been able to generate adequate road network and public infrastructure. The detailed development of large planning zones were to deliver this. Sadly, many demarcated planning zones of the city are yet to have detailed plans despite the task commencing 40 years ago. Other metrics also doesn't present a good picture. Share of public transport and average speed within the city and outside has dropped. Growth of rapid transit has remained relatively unchanged. Even newly implemented metro rail has not been well integrated with the areas it serves. Absence of station area plans are cases in point. What do these evidence indicate and what can be done? The master plan approach appears severely limited. The problem is not just the long term or long horizon years of the plans. They also seem to advocate a static spatial organization despite the city being dynamic and open-ended. The primary device of the plan is the land use planning. Thus we witness city after city failing or appears challenging to implement. Third, the plans cannot adapt and remain agile. Part of the problem is also the low capacity and institutional arrangements. On the face of it, institutions such as CMDA appear to be the meta-organization that plans and holds the city together. In reality, multiple organizations working on the city are independent and not bound by the vision of the plan and its directions. Here I am also referring to the multiple authorities working on city development. In Chennai, when JNNURM was introduced, the city development plan had to be taken up and the task was given to the local body. When smart city initiatives were taken up, a separate SPV was set up, which was independent of CMDA. Each one of these agencies and their activities have the ways and purposes of working, and all of them need not necessarily be aligned or spring from the master plan. The final point is that the plans are not tied with the investment plan. This problem primarily emerges because of the plan is split between a planning mode of thinking and a project mode of working. Planners are smugly satisfied with dictating some strategic projects and never commit to an investment plan. The questions we need to pose to ourselves are whether a master plan is a useful tool. Does it have any more relevance? Since the city is built through projects, should we give up plans for projects? To many of you, these questions would sound familiar, and you would have heard them often. Answers have ranged from abandoning plans for projects, 
giving up on master plans as end state projections and settling for strategic plans that have vision but primarily operate through carefully considered short-term actions? To me, the answer is not in either or. What would be productive is first to acknowledge that a plan is to be treated as a framework and not a blueprint depicting an end condition. There are a few things that a plan has to do and there are certain things it cannot determine. I would list six things a plan must do and four things that must be done outside the plan. First, create road network. Second, focus on mobility. Third, create public assets such as open spaces, community areas. Fourth, protect environmental features and optimize resources. Fifth, provide social housing through multiple strategies. In this, primarily focus on delivering small parcels of service land. Sixth, enable better urban service delivery. The plan is a framework that ties up or engenders projects. Where necessary, it has to negotiate with projects that vitiate the framework. In all this, public goals, both in terms of aggregate and distributive benefits, must be prioritized. As much as plans encourage private partnerships, community entrepreneurship must be supported. Without tying up the plan and projects with an investment plan, none of the efforts would materialize. Now, the four things that a city needs to take care, these four lies outside the plan but are essential to its functioning. First, improving governance. Second, explore the principle of subsidiarity. Third, integrate systems such as land record, land use, and water management. Fourth, enable public participation through data sharing. Chennai is getting ready for its third master plan. News reports tell us that the World Bank is part of this venture and it is providing technical and financial assistance. What route would World Bank recommend for the city this time? There is plenty to learn from the last 60 years of efforts. Would the bank experts and the state planners stay put in old ways? Would they offer another blueprint? Or, much to our relief, would they come with fresh ideas to solve city problems, create public assets, and make the city livable? Would we see more transparency and accountability and public interest in the display? Will it change our views about city plans? Questions abound. In a few months, we should hopefully know the answers. Maybe I will meet you again soon to update and let you know whether things have changed for better or not. Thanks for listening. Bye.